Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, it's good to, good to join you. I'm Pastor Rob. Just a reminder, in our bulletin is a connect card, and we elders get these uh, prayer requests are on here. You can turn that in. There's a little box over there. You can just slide that in there. It's just a good thing for us to be praying for each other. We're a, we're a family here of faith, and, and we believe God hears prayers, and so we want to be praying for each other. If there's something you're like, hey, you know what I'm going through this, this week, I know there's sometimes you guys will come up to me and say, hey, there's this thing going on with work, with house, with family. Um, you know, just write it down and we'll be praying for you. And uh, we just, we appreciate you being here. It was great having Sunday school. Before this, I was able to talk about my trip to India and just, it was, it was fun. I'm just, I got excited about being excited. So just, it was, it was good. Good to see everybody. And um, next week, I think Mike is doing uh, scripture discovery. So you won't want to miss that. At not, uh, I think it's 10 o'clock. Here's a question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does he really want? You know? What does it look like to follow Jesus? I think often, you know, in, I can get caught up in the prevailing winds of just the day uh, and not know it. And what I mean is I can just go with the flow and just live a life in autopilot, right? Um, I can feel really good when things are good and when things are bad or I sin, I can feel really bummed. When I, when I do devotions or go to church, um, I can feel happy. The barometer of my heart just kind of goes you know, from up and down based on circumstances. You know, I can be really proud of myself or I could be uh, really feeling condemned and with, my, with myself. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I think today Jesus is going to confront that kind of, those peaks and valleys, uh, that peak of, uh, you know, I'm really proud in a bad way maybe. Um, yeah? And then, and then it'll confront the other side of things, that sense of just condemn, condemnation. Um, and uh, here's a phrase I came up with that I think, I think might capture a little bit of where we're going um, as he teaches us how to live. What does he want? So you, you see, Jesus has a standard that he can meet, but we can't, and that fact drives us to him. He's a standard that he can meet, but we can't, and that fact drives us to him. We're going to be reading a really long passage of Scripture, and, and we, we do this tradition to stand in honor of him, and I'd like to read a big portion of it, so I don't think we'll stand right now. And we're going to read, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48. We'll have the words projected. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to, to follow along, 17 through 48. And, I, and Mike found uh, three readers for us. You want to come up here right now? And we're going to hear them read. This is read, Jesus was sitting... Um, on a mountainside. And so his disciples are hearing, this is a sermon, so we're going to hear a portion of a sermon. Um, so let's hear them as if we were sitting on that mountainside 2,000 years ago with Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, do not not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are against, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to, to court. Least your accuser hand over <clears throat> hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of that your whole body go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her, her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take any oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is, his, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an, oath, take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Nothing more than this comes from evil. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And if anyone would sue you and make your and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not give the Gentiles the do not even do not even the Gentiles do the same. You must you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is light and life and challenging. So teach us now the way to follow you into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So where have we been? Do you remember Matthew? What has Matthew sought to do in the beginning of his book? He's teaching us who Jesus is, right? And so we learn about who he is. We learn that he is the son of Abraham and the son of David. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised king who is going to come into his kingdom. It says he is going to save his people from his sin in chapter 1, verse 21, that they will call him Emmanuel, God with us, a fulfillment of Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 7. And he, chapter 4, begins to do things. So we hear who he is. Now we're going to hear what he does in chapter 4. He goes into Galilee, not Jerusalem, where you might think he, go, he would go into the Mecca of uh, religious thought. He goes into the northern area of Galilee, the land of the Gentiles, and he's a light. And he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons, and he's, he calls a few to follow him. And then we get to chapter 5, and so Matthew has told us who Jesus is and, and what he's done, and now we're going to hear what he's taught. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is a sermon. It's one of the greatest sermons ever written. Chapter 5, it's unlike a sermon you'll hear on Sunday morning. Um, that was probably the closest you'll hear with that, those long verses uh, quoted. But it is a sermon nonetheless. He probably preached these segments, and we've heard parts of these throughout his life. They've written it down for us to remember. And he sits down. Back then, they would teach. They would teach not standing but sitting. He sits down. And his disciples come to him, and, and he preaches to them this message. You might remember, um, I, I don't know if Jeff preached this or Mike, but he communicated the Beatitudes. What's the heart of those who follow him? And he shares who they are. They're poor in spirit, right? They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They, they mourn. They, uh, they're pure in heart. They're peacemaking. These are the unlikely candidates of kingdom ownership with divine royalty and a heavenly stock. And these, he say, will, says, will be persecuted. Then he goes on to talk about them as two different things. What are they? Salt and light. Salt and light. They flavor and preserve and enhance and bless the world around. Why? The purpose is that the world might see their good deeds and give praise to God, the Father in heaven. So we just finished, a, a, yesterday we just finished a workshop with the elders. There's a number of elders. At the end of the service, we're going to pray and dedicate the, the leaders of the church and some friends as well. And we studied the principles that Pastor Jeff works part-time with the mission organization, and he travels and he shares these principles with guys who, who don't have access to education. And how do you take the Bible and not just proof text, take stuff out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say? We've all heard people do that. Well, there's principles of 
understanding the Bible that are pretty basic, but take some skill and work at, at learning. And, and so one of the principles we worked with was structure. And so what's the structure of these verses, 17 through 48? There's a structure. It's pretty clear. Um, here's, uh, here's three points. Uh, 17 through 20 is one chunk. Jesus talks about who he is and the least and the greatest in the kingdom and the Pharisees and scribes in relation to the law. Uh, verse, in, in number, the second point, he, uh, second section is verses 21 through 47. So 17 through 20, 21 through 47. He talks about six different laws, six different ways of living. How do we follow? Six different laws. The, the law of, of murder and adultery and divorce and promises, retaliation, and the law of love. In each, he quotes an Old Testament passage. And then he makes a comment. And his comments, we'll notice, they go from an outward obedience to the letter of the law to the heart and the heart of the law. Jesus concludes with a final standard of perfection, and you heard it. And the weight of this conclusion is supposed to drive us, this is what I think, it's supposed to drive us back to the Beatitudes, to the beginning of his message. You see, Jesus can fulfill the law. We can't. And that fact needs to drive us back to him. Jesus fulfills the law, we can't, and that fact drives us back to him. He fulfills the law. Now, these aren't these rules, these laws he talks about aren't something we can simply check off a list. I think that the theme might be for these few verses, 17 through 20, uh, maybe even 17 through 48, repent because Jesus fulfills the law. Only Jesus fulfills the law. Repent because only Jesus fulfills the law. What I'd like to do is just really zero in on 17 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 17 for a moment, and then we'll pick up another verse after that. But go to verse 17. When Jesus said law, what does he mean? What does law mean in in Jesus' words? The Ten Commandments? I think it includes the Ten Commandments. What else? The Old Testament? I think it's in the Old Testament. The law is a code word or short for the first five books of the Bible, which include the Old, Test, uh, the, the Old Testament, uh, but the, are in the Old Testament, but include the Ten Commandments. The prophets, I've read, includes all of the Old Testament. So he's saying, this is his Bible. They don't have the New Testament at this point. He's, he is not there. There must be this accusation or, or fear that he's there to just do away with that and create something new. Whole cloth. Out of whole cloth, he's going to make his own religion. No. He's not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law continues. Um, until there will be no more sin. And his people at that point will be sanctified. But until that point, the world is still rebelling against and the law continues. The law serves a purpose to protect us, to guide us, and help us define what is right and wrong and good and evil. Um, what's interesting, let's, I just I jumped <laughs> to a different part of in my message here, but when he says he has not come to abolish it, there are some people in our day, you might hear this, hear winds of this, that the Old Testament is for, you know, 
the old times and like, we don't need that anymore. We need the New Testament. That's the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Jesus is confronting that. The law stands. He, it, is still, it is still valuable and valid. He just has changed something by completing it and fulfilling it, fulfilling the prophecies that we've already talked about. He is pure and spotless and blameless. He's never sinned, the Bible says. Not only does he obey the law for us to know that, but it, he does that for us spiritually. And so when we come to communion, we are the beneficiaries of what we're remembering that he did. He lived a perfect life. And his life then is a substitute for ours. He pays the penalty for our sins because he's lived the perfect life when we haven't. And so we receive the benefit of his perfection. He has authority and credibility and integrity when it comes to the law. And so he speaks about the law. Uh, look at verse 18. He's going to say some more, and I kind of jumped ahead, but I'll, I'll, I'll read this. For truly I say it to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. What's an iota and a dot? It's a reference to the smallest markings in Hebrew. He is saying that the Old Testament is authoritative. And the Bible is trustworthy. That this isn't going to be done away with now that he's on the scene. He is not going to remove this uh, book from our diet. Um, no, he has come to fulfill it, to complete it, to put a stamp of approval on it. And he'll quote it. And it demands, the, the law will continue and to accomplish God's purposes. And it demands satisfaction. And Jesus continues uh, to moving from walk, talking about his role with law in verses 17 and 18 to someone else in general. And we can hear ourselves in this and kind of evaluate where we're at in verses 19 and 20. So let's go to verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's circle back or cycle back and ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is he talking about? I think when we think kingdoms, we think of a political entity, we think of a land, we think of a, uh, a place, uh, certainly there is this, a place or space, but this is a spiritual reality. This is not a political, geographic, like earthly place. And he's going to tell more about us. This, uh, Matthew, one of the themes in Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. We've heard about it before, and we're hearing about it again. And he makes a statement. Those who relax the least of these commandments will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And which is interesting, they're not going to be outside the kingdom of heaven. So that could be kind of comforting <laughs> if you're like, I, I can relate to that kind of loosey-goosey perspective. Um, and I think there's a tendency to think, you know, sin's not that big of a deal. God's loving. God's love. He's forgiving. He's kind. He's good. So that here, initially hearing that, might have a little bit of comfort when we start talking about his role to the Old Testament laws and this whoever am I, you know, where am I? I might be that loosey-goosey guy. And then he talks about this other person, the, the one who teaches them and does it. He says they're going to be what? 
great. They're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. So who does the law and who teaches the law? Christ. I think Jesus. Jesus does the law. He fulfills it. He's perfect. Who else? In their day, they're probably thinking about the expert, the teacher of the law, the scribe who wrote the law, the Pharisee who taught the law. Now we get to the shocker, verse 20. Where are, we've heard where the least are, we've heard about the greatest, and now where is the Pharisee, the scribe of their day? Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean for the scribes and Pharisees? Where are they? They're not there. They're outside. That's right. Do you remember what John the Baptist said about the scribes and Pharisees a couple weeks ago? Brood of vipers. Well, that's... That's, out. That's uh, harsh. That's painful. So why does it, what is the, what's a, 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 about, about a viper and this religious leader? What does that mean? What does that symbolize? Well, if we go back to biblical times, the snake, a viper is a snake. The snake is in, in the earliest chapter, one of the earliest chapters, chapter three, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes and tempts Eve. And he's the deceiver. And so... There's just some kind of connection with this dark, diabolical, evil, sinful quality of a snake and the religious leaders of the day. And John the Baptist isn't the only one making this connection. Jesus himself does it. John was just, wasn't having a bad day. Um, and Jesus is perfect, remember? And he says in chapter 12 and in chapter 23, the same thing to the same group of people. This is what he says. Chapter 12, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Inside the heart of the religious leader in Jesus' day was not something pretty. It was not something pretty. They were all about selfish gain. They're about themselves. They were proud. If you just take the Beatitudes, you can flip it on its head. They were not meek. They were proud. They're not pure in heart. They're filthy in heart. Jesus is calling them out. And he calls them out in chapter 23. He's a bunch of woes. Luke has a bunch of woes as well. But 23, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I heard someone say the other day, everyone's a hypocrite. Well, in this case, this is not a good thing. This is not a, this is, He's gearing towards the scribes and the Pharisees where they say one thing to their people and they're doing the other thing on the, you know, in the back room. For you build the tombs of the prophets and dec- decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part in the, them and shedding the blood of the prophets. In the Old Testament, the, the bad guys are killing God's people, the, the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves, Jesus says, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up the men and measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How you are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus had fighting words for these Pharisees and scribes because they have this high and mighty perspective and they impose these rules on people. 
and they think so much of themselves and they're about themselves. They're very proud people. They're not the beatitude kind of people that are following Jesus into his kingdom. They're all about appearance and neglect the, the interior. Their pedigree was superb on the outside. However, their hearts was cold. So think of how they're going to hear this. If you're a Pharisee, and we don't know if they were there at the Sermon on the Mount, but I got to think that Jesus said this multiple times for these guys, these disciples, to write it down so that we have it. And then when they hear it, how are they responding, do you think? Probably pretty upset. Probably weren't very happy. So you can see why they get upset at Jesus attacking them, Jesus telling them to change, telling them to turn, telling them that they're not on the in crowd, that they, are, they aren't doing things right. No wonder they want to kill him. No wonder those who follow Jesus and follow his teaching might face persecution because they're upsetting the apple cart, the system, the status quo. So if you're a proud person, you're listening to this, all of a sudden you look at these you know, religious leaders, they're not making it into heaven. So that can, that can really shock and shatter your sense of well-being. How does the disciple hear this? They might say, well, there's just no hope for me. If these, if these top guys can't do it, I can't do it. Or maybe they're like, well, let me try. What kind of rules are we talking about? What's the, what, what does it mean to be righteous? And so Jesus gives six. And, you know, I've, I've talked to different people and we talk about, I've, you know, you can ask the question, hey, if, have you ever thought about spiritual things? Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe. If you were to die today, where would you go? I don't know. I haven't killed anybody. I mean, that, so the standard of if I'm going to get into heaven is murder. So that, and I think Jesus, in Jesus' day, it must have been similar. So he goes, the first one, the first standard of righteousness, murder. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother. And all of a sudden, the person who might, you know, I haven't killed anybody, but gets really angry and starts swearing at the guy who cuts him off or upset at, you know, like, you know, how the house is, that person is now not as righteous as they think. But maybe the follower of Jesus is like, you know, I really don't struggle with anger. I'm not the kind of guy. What does he talk about next? He talks about adultery, but adultery goes deeper than that. He talks about lust. Let's see. Those two knock out most of us lawbreakers and compromisers. And we certainly see that we're not as righteous as we think. But maybe, maybe you on your, in your life can say, you know what, I really don't struggle with lust and I'm not struggling with anger. And then Jesus, you know, he just keeps adding to these things. He talks about oaths and marriage and revenge and loving your enemies. And we're going to talk about those over the coming weeks. And this, I think, is just so damning to our consciences. Yet if maybe just for some reason you go through this list and you're like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. Um, Then he is this like, in verse 48, I just imagine it's like a mic drop statement, verse 48. And it's it's actually pretty haunting. Look at verse 48. So we're just going to skip through the rest because we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. Verse 48, what does it say? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Can we get around that? There, there's like 
there's no room to kind of like position myself and maneuver. I'm not perfect. I haven't met anyone who is. This summer, um, I, I ran a marathon. I've run two, and I, I trained with my brother. He's in Wisconsin. I'm here, and I, I love to run. And so we picked out run. Katie, my wife over here, gave me, you know, said, hey, we can fit this in our schedule. So I picked out a run uh, that was kind of exotic. I was going to run on an island out in the middle of Lake Superior. And, and so we trained, and I, I got, we got there, and we started going 26.2 miles. And my brother's never done this before. And so we get to mile five, and I'm thinking, pretty good of myself. When we get to mile 22, it's the last water break. I'm just going to just gun it. I'm going to go as hard as I can for the next four miles. And uh, get to mile 10, I'm feeling good. And so I start to kind of coach my brother, you know, like, hey, you know, just when we get to mile 22, just we'll go at our own pace, okay? It's going to be good. Thank, you know, it's been great training. Get to mile uh, 15, I'm feeling good. And I'm thinking, this is, this is great. You know, I'm not going to get a record time. This is a, a trail run. It's, it's uh, up and down hills. And um, uh, what a beautiful day. It was perfect. I'm, uh, we had such fun training. Um, and then I get to mile 19. Do you, you want to put this, the picture up there? Um, do we have that? So they had a course map. I don't know if it, oh, there it is, of the up and down. And uh, so we'd hit a couple different hills. So Michelle, you're, you're a runner. Let's see if my pointer works. So we get to, we hit a couple hills. These are killer hills. And then we're somewhere in here. And my knees start hurting, like both sides of my knees. And that whole dream of I'm just going to like sprint for four miles, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my brother how to do this, just gone. My brain's all mush. And I'm like looking up this hill. He's like, it's okay. He's like coaching me, okay? And he's like helping me out. He's like, here's on his little watch. He's like, okay, we're right here. I think once we go around this curve, we'll be done with the hill. And I'm like, okay, we're going to walk, okay? And, and we get to like... We get to the curve, and all of a sudden, I realize the hill keeps going. I'm like, oh, no. You know, and you start having thoughts of, like, can I make this? Can I finish this? And, and we end up, like, just, we're just, like, shuffling. You know, we went, you know, went from this confident pace in the beginning to, like, you know, just hobbling. And uh, I, ended up, I did end up walking. I didn't end up finishing. And I think about, about this passage of scripture and as if, it, you know, it relates to this running and I get to the end and say, get to the end of the race. And Jesus is like, we're going to go for five more. Let's make this a 50 K. You just did 20, you know, and I couldn't, I know in that case, I couldn't do it. You have to carry me the four miles to get to the next, uh, to the next 50, you know, to get the 50 K. And, and it's kind of like, you know, he gives us this bar that's just so high that it doesn't matter who you are. You're not able to do it. But Jesus can, and that draws us back to him. And so I see in this passage, we're to repent because only Jesus can fulfill the law. And it brings us back to the Beatitudes. This is what repentance, I think, really means. Is just, there's this poverty of spirit. If we're really honest with ourselves, it's like, I, I'm not perfect. But yours is the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is that? How, how is a not perfect person able to have heaven? Well, it's because of this. It's because of what we celebrate at communion. Man, that makes me feel bad. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Wow. God wants to comfort us. 
but I, I'm just not there. Do you want to be? You want to be? Yeah, I want to be there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Yeah, blessed are the pure, pure in heart. Yeah, blessed are those who, who are peacemakers. Blessed. You see, God meets the humble, dependent people. Are you humble? Are you dependent? It's a good thing. Maybe our society is like, really values the macho, the strong. Jesus values the humble. I was here earlier this week to give blood. Didn't quite work out though. I thought it was going to work out. But thank you, Sandy, for doing that. And there's, this looked like a hospital. There was like beds and IVs and, and medical equipment. And uh, it doesn't look like that today. People were there to give blood. And, and I bring that up because the church's, the church, the family the church is supposed to be a hospital. Where instead of giving our blood, we're, we're getting, you know, we've gotten the blood of Jesus to cover our sin, to give us life anew. And he comes for not the healthy, but the sick, the meek, the sorrowful, those who are humble. See, Jesus can do what we can't, so it drives us back to him. That's the point. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he captures this in Romans 8. Again, one of my, you're going to hear me say this again and again and again. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and some of you have read it, and it's just ministered to your soul. Romans 8. There's a portion where he starts talking about this, this challenge of feeling condemned, and maybe you felt condemned before, and, and dealing with the law and seeing this bar, the standard that's like, I, I can't go one more, I can't do it. You're wanting me to do that? I can't do that. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Friends, hear this. Actually, let's, let's read this in unison together. We had these readers here read out. And, and when we read it, one of the things it does is it slows us down to contemplate what is being said. So I'll try to slow down too because I get excited and speak fast. Let's say this with me out loud. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, hear those beginning words. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's by grace we're saved from the wrath of God. He is our perfection. He is our peace. He is the righteousness we need and have in him by faith. We are no longer slaves to sin. You might say, I sin. You are not a slave to it anymore. You are free to walk in righteousness because the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, the grace that is present today for today's trials and temptations. Maybe you don't believe 
but you live under the weight of your sin. You can believe, repent and be saved. All of you. Jesus died to forgive all who trust in him. No one's sin is too gross or heinous to be outside the reach of a loving God. And maybe you think, well, I don't need this. I'm just here because I'm, this is habit because of someone else or haven't thought you needed it. So then here's a challenge for you. If that's, that's you, and I know different people are different places in life. Try this. Try being perfect this week. Try it out. People have, and everyone I know, including myself, have failed. And then run to the one who didn't. Because that's what he's calling us to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our perfection and that you are our peace and that we don't need to run from you anymore, but run to you. Help us do that as we sing and as we pray and as we remember you in communion. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.